Have you been to an AA or Al-Anon convention or roundup? And what did you find there? Welcome to episode 239 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Susan, Cheryl, Ken, and Kathleen. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Susan, Cheryl, Ken, and Kathleen, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. This past weekend, I attended the March Roundup 2018, which is an AA convention with Al-Anon participation in Dearborn, Michigan. My wife and I both went and we attended sessions together. We went to a mix of AA and Al-Anon topics. From Friday evening to midday on Sunday, we attended workshops and we heard speakers. And I want to talk about what I found there. Friday evening, our first session that we attended was called God Consciousness, the Essence of Spirituality. And most of the sessions we went to were panels with several people speaking, each sharing their their own experience in their own thoughts, experience, strength, hope about that particular topic. And so this was a pattern that, that we saw throughout the weekend. If, As I recall, there were three speakers, and each of them t- told a little bit of their own story, sort of highlighting where they found God in their own story or their concept of a higher power in their own story. As with most of the sessions, I connected with some of what was said and didn't connect with really strongly with some of what was said. And as we say at the beginning, take what you like and, and leave the rest. Although I've heard it in AA, I've said, heard it said, take what you need and leave the rest. And that works too. It was a good start to the, to the weekend. Next, we went to an Al-Anon session and the session was titled something about the first step. It actually ended up being about the traditions and I felt a little bit cheated. I really wanted to hear first step, but three people each shared their understanding of four of the Al-Anon traditions, and there was some good stuff there. One of the things that I heard in that session was that they were looking for speakers for next year, and I thought, huh, I could do that. Later in the weekend, I found the person who was chairing the Al-Anon track and said, hey, I'd like to sign up for next year. She said, you want to lead a panel or just be on a panel? And I said, well, let's start with just being on a panel. And later I thought, you know, I should have maybe said, well, what's involved? You know, what's the commitment? What do I have to do to lead a panel? Because I'm pretty sure that's something I could do. And it sounded like that was what she was really looking for. And I suspect one of the um, duties of the, the leader, the chair of the panel is to find speakers. So uh, if I, I may be able to get back in touch with her and, and ask that question and make that offer. After that, we saw the main speaker for, for Friday evening. And I'll talk about the speakers later. So then we went home. And in the morning, we came back, and we got back in time to attend another Al-Anon panel, this one titled Double Winners, the AA's Value of Using Al-Anon. And this panel featured three members of Al-Anon who are also members of AA. And it was a little bit different than sort of a standard Al-Anon meeting. And it wasn't an Al-Anon meeting. I mean, it was a presentation. It was a panel, and it was open. It wasn't an Al-Anon meeting. 
And each of them started out by saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic and also a grateful member of Al-Anon, or words to that effect. Which, it being a panel of double winners, makes perfect sense, but it's just not not something that I hear in my meetings, you know? And that one, that one I thought was pretty good. Um, two of the speakers were really good. They told They told their stories, and they told them well, and they were engaging, and the other one was good. That was a highlight, that particular panel. After that, we went to a session titled Early AA Escapades, partly just because the title was intriguing, and it turned out to be really sort of fascinating. The The woman who was presenting that session, it was just one person in that session, had made a study of AA history and had come into AA early enough to have known, I think not necessarily the pioneers, but certainly people who knew the pioneers. And she told us a story about Sybil, who was the first woman to get sober in AA west of the Mississippi. This was 1940, I think. Sybil Sybil was in bad shape. Sybil realized she needed help, and she wrote to the AA National Office in New York, and they wrote back and said, there is a meeting near you. At that time, there was one meeting in California where she lived, and it was in Los Angeles where she lived. And so she decided to go to it and asked her husband to take her. And he said, okay. So they went, and they went in, and there was a room full of people socializing, men and women. And then the person who was leading the meeting said, okay, it's time for the meeting to start. All the ladies have to leave. So she left, and her husband stayed. And the humorous part of this is that then they spent, apparently, most of the meeting trying to convince him, despite his denial that he was not an alcoholic, they tried to convince him that, no, no, he was, because they'd heard that before. But eventually, I guess they let him out. And Sybil was really mad and felt like, wow, she wasn't even good enough for Alcoholics Anonymous. But she called up or wrote to, probably wrote to that time of the century, the person who had started that meeting and who was, I guess, listed as its head or its chair or something. And you have to understand that 1940 was a decade before the 12 traditions were were written and adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous. So tradition three, which says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, was not something that was even thought of or heard of at that point. The person who started a meeting, that was their meeting, and and it ran by their rules. Well, this guy said, come back next week. I'll be there. I wasn't there this week. I'll be there next week, and, and you can come in, and we will have the meeting with you. And so she did, and just, I guess, I don't know, to protect herself or, or to be sure about this, she brought her brother, who also had a drinking problem, also, I think, well, eventually identified as well, not eventually, I think in that meeting, identified as alcoholic. And he brought along a bunch of his farm workers that he felt they were drinking too much. So she walked in with her brother who was, I don't know, six foot four and built like a like a truck. And apparently she had no trouble uh, <laughs> coming into the meeting there. And I don't know if it was at the end of that meeting or the next one, the, the Jack Alexander article about Alcoholics Anonymous had just been published in trying to remember, I think it was the Saturday Evening Post. And this was a national publication, and it really stirred up a lot of interest in AA. And so at the end of the meeting, 
bunch of the guys went out and brought back pillowcases full of letters that had been sent to Alcoholics Anonymous by people who wanted to know more, people who, who wanted the help that AA was was providing. And they divvied them up. It was, you know, there was one meeting, right? There was one meeting in California, or at least Southern California, and people drove hours. And so they, you know, here, these are the Bakersfield letters. You, Joe, you go contact these people. Uh, and here are the Fresno letters. Bob, you take them to Fresno and contact these people. And they got to the to the end and handed his pillowcase to Sybil and said, here, Sybil, these are the letters from women. You're in charge of all the women. And she said, but I've only been to one meeting. I don't know what to do. And he said, go to the house, say, did you write a letter? And if that was you, I'd like to invite you to a meeting. So she did. And for several years, she was, she was, quote, in charge of all the women in AA in Los Angeles. It's sort of a fascinating story about how things worked and about, you know, that she really had to stand up for herself even to just get into the meeting. And I looked around the room at all of the women that were there, and it's certainly very, very different situation today. And she talked about some other early AA foibles, uh, some early AA occurrences. And and uh, apparently this woman, June, who was um, our Saturday night speaker, came into AA at a very young age, and she actually met Sybil a few times. I think she heard Sybil talk when she was 30 days sober in AA, which she came into at the age of 12 or 13. Okay, And when Sybil died, she was the person with the, the, the person with the longest sobriety in AA who was still living at that time, 58 years or something. And she was pretty proud of that. So that was a really interesting talk. And there was, as I said, there were some other things that she talked about. They were also, and she was a good speaker too. And she really had dug into these things and had some of the original documents to back it up and stuff too, original letters and so on. Then we went to lunch and my wife and I were sitting down to lunch and somebody came over from another table and said, hi, how are you doing? It was a, a friend of my wife's from from her program. And so we went over and sat with them and chatted about what they'd seen and what we were planning to see. And there was a, a session coming up titled Four Important Pages, 23 and 24. And we're like, does somebody not know how to count? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, so we decided to go to that one, uh, partly because it sounded interesting and partly because we wanted to know how 23 and 24 were four pages. And it turns out that they were talking about pages 23 and 24 in two different books. There's the the AA big book where pages 23 and 24 are in the middle of the description of step one, the powerlessness. And then the uh, AA 12 and 12 book, which is about the 12 steps and 12 traditions, where again, 23 and 24 are in the chapter about step one. There were four speakers, each of which took one of the pages basically I think it was the, the speaker about page 23 in the 12 and 12 talked about one of the differences between early AA and AA now. And in early AA, most of the people coming into the program were what were termed as low bottom drunks, that they had hit their bottom at a very low point in their life, that they had lost almost everything or everything, all their money, their family, their home, you know, depending on the person. And so the first edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous 
most of the stories in that book were about people who had a very low bottom because that was who they were first trying to help, the hopeless alcoholic, as they called it, or, or as Jung called it, the alcoholic of the hopeless kind. That's Dr. Carl Jung, the, the uh, early psychiatrist. Then they started getting people come in, coming in who you know hadn't lost everything. And I don't know if, if you've heard young people in AA talk about sometimes they go into a meeting and the old timers will say to them, ah, kid, I spilled more beer than you ever drank. You're not ready for AA. Well, apparently this kind of thing was, was going on. You're not, you're not in bad enough shape to need Alcoholics Anonymous. And people are like, but I want to stop drinking, you know, <laughs> I want your help. And so in, and actually it says this in the 12 and 12, and I want to read this starting on page, it actually starts on page 22. In AA's pioneering time, none but the most desperate cases could swallow and digest this unpalatable truth. Even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopeless they actually were. But a few did, and when these laid hold of AA principles with all the fervor with which the drowning sees life preservers, they almost invariably got well. That is why the first edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, published when our membership was small, dealt with low-bottom cases only. Many less desperate alcoholics tried AA but did not succeed because they could not make the admission of hopelessness. It is a tremendous satisfaction to record that in the following years this changed. Alcoholics who still had their health, their families, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. As this trend grew, they were joined by young people who were scarcely more than potential alcoholics. They were spared that last 10 or 15 years of literal hell the rest of us had gone through. Since step one requires an admission that our lives have become unmanageable, how could people such as these take this step? It was obviously necessary to raise the bottom the rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control, that our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. He went on to talk about a concept that bottom does not have to be physical, that a bottom can be spiritual. You can hit your bottom on the spiritual plane even when physically things look okay. And that, to me, just felt like such a port, an important concept, that we come to recovery when spiritually we're at that low point, when spiritually we can't conceive how to go forward. And maybe physically we're okay. And if we can find recovery at that point, we can save ourselves from the physical bottom. Whether it's Al-Anon or AA or NA or whatever program, that that if we can recognize that when we're still, you know, have our health, our family, our job, our two cars in the garage. And this was written in 1950, so two cars in the garage was something in 1950, I think. So that was a that was a great presentation, and several of the speakers in that presentation were people who had been invited to the conference as the featured speakers, and so they also had you know they spoke very well. That was our last panel session on Saturday because following that there was an Elanon main speaker, there were a pair of Alateen speakers, and then there was an AA main speaker, and I'll, again I'll talk about those in a little bit. So. Exhausted, we went home, we slept. I woke up and it was light out, which almost never happens for me. I obviously needed the sleep. You know, I was probably physically tired from 
walking back and forth between rooms and sitting in very uncomfortable chairs, but I think I was also mentally and spiritually tired from all of the stuff I'd been taking in, all of the emotion that came up, particularly in the open talks. And I really needed that sleep and I got it. So Sunday morning we drove over and we got there. We got there a little bit after a session titled Dr. Bob's Farewell Talk had started. And again, this was, I think, four members sharing what Dr. Bob's Farewell Talk said to them. And, you know, it's pretty short. And I think I'm just going to read it. And Dr. Bob, by the way, was one of the co-founders of AA. Um, I assume you know that, but maybe you don't. And it's good to know. So Dr. Bob and Bill W. were co-founders of AA. And Dr. Bob writes, this was in, I believe, in 1950 that he uh, he wrote this and presented it or spoke at the first international AA convention in 1950 in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was called the International Convention because people came from Canada. My good friends in AA and of AA, I get a big thrill out of looking out over a vast sea of faces like this with a feeling that possibly some small thing I did a number of years ago played an infinitely small part in making this meeting possible. I also get quite a thrill when I think that we all had the same problem. We all did the same things. We all get the same results in proportion to our zeal and enthusiasm and stick to If you will pardon the injection of a personal note at this time, let me say that I have been in bed five of the last seven months and my strength hasn't returned as I would like, so my remarks of necessity will be very brief. There are two or three things that flashed into my mind on which it would be fitting to lay a little emphasis. One is the simplicity of our program. Let's not louse it all up with Freudian complexes and things that are interesting to the scientific mind, but have very little to do with our actual AA work. Our 12 steps, when simmered down to the last, resolve themselves into the words love and service. We understand what love is, and we understand what service is, so let's bear those two things in mind. Let us also remember to guard that erring member, the tongue. And if we must use it, let's use it with kindness and consideration and tolerance. And one more thing, none of us would be here today if somebody hadn't taken time to explain things to us, to give us a little pat on the back, to take us to a meeting or two, to do numerous little kind and thoughtful acts in our behalf. So let us never get such a degree of smug complacency that we're not willing to extend or attempt to extend to our less fortunate brothers that help, which has been so beneficial to us. Thank you very much, Dr. Bob. You know, there's a lot in those few words, but one of the things that, you know, boiled down to the essence, two words, love and service. And I heard somehow for the first time at this convention, I had not heard this before, or as may be the case in recovery, I had heard it, but I hadn't heard it, if you know what I mean. Bill W.'s short description of what we need to do, what alcoholics need to do to stay sober, and those are trust God, clean house, help others. Six words. So Bill Bill, Bill got it down to six words. Dr. Bob got it down to two. I think they're both pretty wise people there. You know, that's what we do in our program too. We trust in our higher power, trust God. We clean house. That's our middle steps. Steps four, inventory, five, confession, six, becoming ready, and seven, asking for help. And also eight and nine, making a list of persons we had harmed and making amends. And then help others is step 12, um, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs, which leads us into the last 
session that my wife and I went to before the final speaker on Sunday. It was called Principles in Our Relationships. It was a couple presenting, one in AA, one in Al-Anon, and they were talking about how how they used the principles of these programs, AA and Al-Anon, how they used them in their relationship and how they had been able to mend a severe rift in their relationship and how they kept it healthy and how they kept it loving and how they kept it close. It was so excellent. And I wanted to get a recording of it because they were recording all the sessions and that session, the recording failed for some reason. So I'll just have to take my memory. I brought a couple of things away from it. The one presenter said, and this is so true for me, and it just really hit me. He said, my most expensive mistakes have been paid for in somebody else's pain. And if you have, if you have listened to me over the last five years in this podcast, you know that, that that has happened for me, that I have made mistakes that have caused somebody else pain and that those were my most expensive mistakes and the ones that it's hardest for me to find self forgiveness for and to move forward from. That one just struck me. And the other person, the Alanon, said, I came to learn that Alanon wouldn't kick me out if I got happy. And that's so important too, that we are allowed to be happy. We are encouraged to be happy. In fact, there was, there were several sessions, none of which we went to about having fun in AA, because there's a, there's apparently there's a line in the big book about how we alcoholics insist on having fun, insist, no, we alcoholics insist on enjoying life, I think is the, the exact phrasing. And You know, there were a lot of people enjoying life at that convention. They really were. So that was the last session we went to. And then we went to hear one of the speakers, the Sunday uh, main speaker. So we did hear six speakers. They were spread out throughout the weekend. Uh, each of the three evenings had an AA speaker. And on Saturday afternoon, there was an Al-Anon speaker and a pair of Alateen speakers. They were all good. And some of them were amazing. And I'm going to name people, um, and I'll put their names in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 239, because I'm sure you can find recordings of other talks they've given online. And in fact, there was um, an outfit there that was taping, taping, you listen to me, recording the sessions and burning them to CD as we were there. And, and we bought some, some of the sessions on CD to take home with us. As I said, I will put a link to them. I have no affiliation. I have no obligation, I'm, uh, but I will put a link to their website. And hopefully if you're really interested, you can order these, these talks or other talks by the same people. But I also have on the website at the recovery show, there's a link to a couple of sites that have a lot of recordings of AA, Al-Anon, et cetera, speakers online. One is xaspeakers.org. The other is, it's called Recovery Radio Network. And I will put a link to that in the website so that you can, you can go there and you can search by name. And hopefully if you really, if you're interested, um, find talks by these folks. So Friday night was Danny D and oh my God, Danny, I don't know if he is an actor, but he ought to be. Seems like he half of, I think half of the power of his presentation was his physicality. He made faces. He gestured. He, he grew up a fighter because his father beat him and he learned that the only way to not get beat was to fight. 
And so he would sort of, at many points throughout his presentation, when he wanted to exhibit that what he was feeling at the time that he was feeling like he was going to fight, he would drop into a boxer's crouch. Um, at one point he was talking about when he finally came into AA, he was, had lost, he was living on the streets. He was drinking leftover drinks that he would snag from the waitress station at the bar at the end of the night. And he said he weighed, I don't know, under a hundred pounds. I don't know what. And, and he illustrated this by sort of pulling in his cheeks and making his face really skinny. And he was hilarious and very animated and, and had a great story. And he had a great story about the love and that he found in the program, even when he didn't love anybody and he certainly didn't love himself, how the program loved him into recovery. It was a great, it was a great speaker. And yeah. And, and the, the, the Sunday afternoon speaker was his sponsor. We'll get to him. Saturday afternoon speaker, Linda L was the Al-Anon speaker. Um, she also told a really good it gave a really good Al-Anon talk of how alcoholism, how she was born into alcoholism, how she continued to to find it throughout her life, how she continued to connect with people who were alcoholics, how she continued to try to save people, all those things that most of us as uh, who are in Al-Anon or maybe considering Al-Anon have done. Really good speaker, sort of at the other end of the spectrum emotionally. She was very much more quiet. What I, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Sort of deep, really. She spoke about how her marriage fell apart when her partner did something that she felt at the time was unforgivable and how she came to forgiveness. And that they're they're back together, but not married. She said they're, they're soul married, which I think is what's important to her. Following Linda were a couple of Alateen speakers, Matt and Summer, both from Michigan. Both grew up in alcoholism because that's typically how you get to be an Alateen. Both had good stories. Summer talked about how her dad, who was the alcoholic, was also her hero, and she felt that her dad could do no wrong and that her mom was the crazy one. And I'm sitting there as the as the Al-Anon in the family, knowing that I was the crazy one, for sure. I was also the dad who could do no wrong to my daughter. And, and so I was, myself, from my own experience, I was sort of filtering her words through that experience of my own and thinking, well, maybe her mom was kind of crazy because she was uh, an untreated Alanonic, you know? Because when I was an untreated Alanonic, I was crazy. I can't say for sure. She gave a really good talk. Saturday night, Saturday night speaker was June. June was the woman who gave the really well-reasoned, well-spoken presentation about AA history in the morning. She prefaced her talk by saying that she had given this talk once and somebody came up afterwards and said, I don't believe that's your story. You don't look like somebody who would have lived that story, but it was a great story. And she said, I want to assure you that at the time, I looked like somebody who lived that story. She started drinking, ah, man, I don't know, early, really early in life. Her home life was was not good. I think she left home. She was living on the street as part of a gang in, in Venice Beach, California. 
she said she was barefooted because it was a beach town and that's what you did and her feet were really tough because you had to be had to have tough feet to walk down alleys filled with broken glass which you did if you were part of a gang and you had to do it without wincing and and showing any pain at all she said when she was young she wanted to be a boy because from what she could see of boys and men they didn't feel pain because they didn't show it and she felt pain she felt emotional pain. She felt physical pain. And she didn't want to feel pain. And, you know, that's part of, I think, why she started drinking. She came into AA at the age of 12 or 13. She said when she first came to AA, she went to 21 meetings a week because those were the meetings she could get to and because it was warm in there, because she was living on the street. She took a long time to actually get the message, I think, as I recall from her story. And she was another very angry person. And that was part of the reason I think it took her a long time. But she did. She had a seventh grade education at that point. She eventually went to college. Oh, yes, she told us. She said, when I came into AA, I still had my whole card, which I had had all my life up to that point, And I kept it for quite a while while I was in AA. And that was suicide. She said, if I felt I really needed to get out, I could always kill myself. And she had tried, I think, multiple times. In fact, there was one. She told a story of taking a whole bunch of pills and overdosing, but coming to an AA meeting and laying down on the floor and somebody recognizing that she needed help and taking her to the hospital. And so she lived. She said, AA literally saved my life. And she told a story of one day she was just so miserable. Life was so awful that she decided she was going to kill herself. But an AA friend called up and said, or maybe her sponsor, called up and said, hey, we're going to go give a talk at the local community college, and we need you to come. Okay, whatever. And then I'll come myself after. She didn't say that, but she thought that. And she went, and when she got there, there was somebody who was lost looking for a building and said, hey, can you help me find this building? And she said, I don't know where anything. She says, well, can you just come with me and help me find it? Okay. And they got to talking, and the woman asked if she was a student. She said, no. Well, why are you here? Well, I'm, I'm going to give a talk about alcoholism. <laughs> and the woman said, for or against? <laughs> Just, oh, my God. Um, and it turned out this woman maybe had a drinking problem. She wasn't sure. And, and so June said, well, you should come to a meeting. I'll take you to a meeting. She said, well, then I couldn't kill myself because I had to take her to a meeting. And she ended up sponsoring this woman. So, again, in that case, you know, her higher power somehow put this woman in her way so that she didn't kill herself and so that she was there to talk to us and tell us this story. So she went to college. She got an AA degree. She went on um, and got, I think, a bachelor's degree. And then she went on and became a lawyer. And this from somebody who at, at age 12 was basically dying of alcoholism or else would have died in a gang fight, one or the other. You know, and just an example of, of the way that, you know, people who are so far down can come back up. It's amazing. And on Sunday, our speaker was Earl, who was Danny's sponsor. He also had a long, angry story. Um, and that was the one thing that I was maybe less happy about with the speakers this year is that they all had very similar stories in that sense. And they all came from Southern California. And I think that's a coincidence. I think that I think that whoever was selecting the speakers was looking for people who had dramatic stories. And they were dramatic stories, and Earl was a great speaker. Again, Earl H. 
go out and and find some some talks of his because he does tell a great story and he tells it really well. So I would say any of those speakers, Danny D, Linda L, June G, Earl H, go out and find them. Um, the Al- Alateen speakers is probably less likely you're going to find their talks on the internet, but it's possible. I may post them here. I think I bought a CD of Linda's talk, uh, Matt and Summer's talk, and, and Earl's talk. I bought Earl's because I had listed out five I wanted. One, one of those was the uh, relationships session, and then they didn't have it. And if I bought five, it actually was cheaper than buying four. So I'm like, uh, I got to pick one real quick. Uh, take Earl, because it was good, and I might want to listen to it again. So I, I'll probably be posting some of those later on the podcast. Oh, man, as always, as always, there was much more that we wanted to do than we actually had time and energy for. Um, I will say at the Saturday night speaker, they announced the attendance, uh, the registration of the of the convention, and it was over 2,700 people. And I swear, every single one of them was probably in the room at the time. Well, I know there were three people who weren't because those were friends of my wife who unfortunately had to leave that afternoon for family things. But there were there was a lot of people packed in that room. There really were. And they were asking people to like point at seats next to them in this huge room. And there were still people standing. And then on Sunday, at Earl's talk, they announced again the final registration number was over three thousand. Which it's a you know, the the convention is a fundraiser for the local AA district so that they can send their district representative to the national meeting. Yeah. And uh, and so it was great. And so many people, so many people there for recovery. It was awesome. So anyway, yeah, we did not have time and energy to do everything. We were exhausted at the end of each day. The activities extended into the night, both Friday and Saturday nights. There were games and dancing and music and, and more workshops after the talks. Whew. Uh, I think that was like for the young people. I don't know. Also, for the people who were staying at the hotel, which we weren't, we live about 45 minutes away, and so we drove each day um, a lot cheaper for one, and we get to sleep in our own bed, which is kind of nice, too. Saturday and Sunday both started at 8 or 8.30 or 8 in the morning. Um, Sunday started with a love meditation, which I wanted to attend, but I knew there was no way that was going to happen. So I bought the CD of that, having heard that it was excellent. So I haven't listened to it yet, but a friend of mine bought it and said it is great. And a few of you came up to say hi, and I just, I, that gives me so much joy to meet you, to hear that what I'm doing here is helping you, and that you would take the time to seek me out. You know, I'm just a guy with a microphone, is what I feel about it, right? And I do this as much for me as I do for you, and it is wonderful to hear that it helps you as well. So I want to say if you've thought about attending a roundup or a convention, whether AA or Al-Anon, I really strongly encourage you to do so. If you're going to an AA convention and you're afraid you're going to be singled out as an Al-Anon, they're going to know I'm not one of them. It's not true. Nobody asked. Nobody looked at me sideways. It was not on my badge. In fact, they gave us basically a blank piece of paper that said March Roundup on it and and a marker, set of markers, and said, make a name tag. So you could put on your name tag whatever you wanted. I put Spencer T, and I stuck one of my podcast business cards in there just in case somebody might recognize it. And ask what, or or ask, what's that? Nobody did. Oh, well, it's a thing. Everybody was warm and welcoming, and we got all this recovery wisdom. Oh, my God. And, you know, not all the people who were presenting were excellent speakers, but 
everybody said something meaningful to me. And I might not remember the details of what they said, but I do remember the essence of what was shared by everybody. And I got to see friends. Friends just showed up. It was like, oh, hi, how you doing? We sat, sat with friends for, for the speaker talks and some of the, uh, some of the workshops. And it was, it was really good. So go. If you get an opportunity, go. It cost, I think pre-registration was like $12 each. Okay. And yeah, we bought meals, but you could bring food and, and avoid that expense. If you, obviously, if you go for a long distance, you're probably going to stay in a hotel. Um, you know, and you have to factor that in. You have to be realistic. But if you really, if you get an opportunity, please go. It's worth it. Well, that was the big recovery part of my week. And I think I'm just going to move forward here. Looking forward um, next week. Next week, I'll be spending a week in California with my brother, who is has been there for over 30 years and is about to move back east. And I realized this is my last chance to visit him out there where while he's still living there. Um, so I'll be flying out on Sunday for a week's visit. And I'll be in the Long Beach area. I probably will be looking for some meetings sometime in the middle of the week. If you happen to hear this before, you know, what is it, March 11th or whatever that I'm flying out or or early in that week, and you want to drop me a line about a meeting that you enjoy in the Long Beach area, I would love to to hear from you. And I would love to, you know, maybe meet up with you at a meeting if that's possible. I know this is the last minute, but hey, whatever. So Eric uh, sent me some texts this week. He sent me a text with a whole bunch of topic suggestions because we had talked about trying to do a recording this week of a, of a podcast episode before I flew to California and, and my schedule's not going to let that happen, but he sent these topics, some of which I think we've done before, but they're all good. Freedom, empathy, balance, force versus power, compassion, awareness, consequences, enabling, and letting go. And if any of those topics strike a chord with you, and maybe you would like to share something on one of those topics, please do. And if we do one of those topics, we'll definitely include your share. I thought as I was sitting in the double winner session at the conference, you know, I have never talked about that topic here because I'm not one. It's not my experience, but oh my God, I bet I'm sure that some of you out there are. Somebody listening is a double winner. A couple of the people on that panel were really well spoken about their experience as a double winner. And I know a bunch of double winners. I sponsor some double winners. So I'm like, okay, I think it's time to do a double winner episode. If I could get you know, two or three double winners in the, in the studio, or if I could get shares from two or three double winners, that would make an episode that I wouldn't have to do much for too. So if that's your experience and you'd like to share it, please do. How can you share your thoughts, your experience, your strength, your hope with us? You can leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website and leave a message directly from your computer. You can record your voice using the voice memo app or whatever it's called on your phone and email it. I love that because you get pretty good quality audio and you can go past the three minute limit that Google Voice sets. So uh, all of those are possibility. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. And if you can't remember all those things I just said, you can go to therecovery.show slash contact or tap on the contact link in the menu at the top of the page to get them all right there on your screen. We would love to hear from you. And if you've been to 
a roundup or convention or you're planning to go to one soon, I'd love to hear your experience. Our website, therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, including this one. And I will put links and all kinds of stuff in there if I remember, which I should. Got a few emails this week. Susan wrote, I just listened to the Sober Parent episode. My husband is a habitual pot smoker. I've been in recovery for compulsive overeating for over 10 years. Our three children are now 19, 22, and 28. I connected with so much in this episode. Resentment over having to be the responsible one, being out of the house on weekends because I didn't want to be around my husband when he was high, and feeling guilty that I wasn't always there for my kids. Trying to explain where daddy had disappeared to. My rage outbursts. My overeating is an addiction from early on, but certainly one of the ways I coped with the dissatisfaction in my marriage. I've recently started attending Al-Anon meetings. Thanks again for your show. It really helps. And thank you. Thank you, Susan. Cheryl wrote, bless you. Grateful for your steadfastness over all these years. Love the show, and I keep spreading the word to all my recovery friends. Well, thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, That is really the only way besides our friend Google that the word gets out. So if you found value, find value in the recovery show, please tell your friends about it so that they can, they can get it too. Lori writes, hi, Spencer. Thank you so much for your podcasts. They are a lifeline for me, particularly when I'm traveling. I recently heard a podcast, but can't recall the date where you mentioned a decision tree where every option led eventually to don't worry. I love that image. Can you share a link where I can print that off for myself? Thank you, Lori. And I sent her a link, and I will put that link in the, the show notes as well. Um, I, there's a bunch of them out there. If you search for um, Don't Worry Flowchart, there's a bunch of different pictures. The one that I sent her starts out at the top. Do you have a problem in your life? And there's three options. Yes, I don't know, and no. If the answer is I don't know or no, it's it leads you to then don't worry. If the answer is yes, then it takes you to the question, can I do something about it? And again, three options. I don't know or no, which leads you to then don't worry. Or yes, which leads you to then don't worry. (laughs) Because if you can do something about it, don't worry. If you can't do something about it, then worrying doesn't help, right? Okay, been there. I think it might have been the worry episode, but maybe not. Might have been a different one. Um, I, I had heard about it from somebody. I might even have mentioned it just in like my week in recovery because I had just heard about it from somebody. Anyway, link to that in the show notes. And a listener wrote in with a dilemma. I've recently started listening to the show and found it immensely helpful in dealing with my alcoholic. I decided to go to a local Al-Anon meeting this week and found that it was an alcoholic family group, AFG, meeting. Though it was good to be with others who have had similar experiences to me, I was hopeful for a meeting with mostly family and friends rather than alcoholics themselves. In looking for other meetings in my area, they are almost all AFG meetings. I'm wondering if you can help explain AFG and maybe give me any tips for finding meetings that would be just for family and friends. Thanks so much for doing this podcast. I'm glad to have had some support before I was ready to go to a meeting. And I wrote back saying, first off, I was a little confused because um, AFG is the official the official name of Al-Anon is Al-Anon Family Groups, which is abbreviated AFG very frequently. And so I think most of those meetings that are marked AFG are, in fact, Al-Anon. And in fact, I have never heard of alcoholic family groups. And it may be that you just found an unhealthy meeting where most of the members were also alcoholics. Not sure. I did suggest that in most areas there is a phone number for Al-Anon that you can call and talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, I had this experience at a meeting. Can you recommend 
one that is is not like that. Yeah, because I've 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 not had that experience. I I do find a lot of some of my meetings have a number of double winners in them. Usually, they're very careful about not identifying themselves as alcoholic and not talking about their alcoholism because that is what our tradition says we should do. And if you're in a meeting where people are talking about drinking or talking about their alcoholism, that is not following the Al-Anon traditions, but not everybody does. So try different meetings and maybe call somebody. Diane writes, is there a podcast about dealing with a teen, 17 years old, living at home, addicted to weed, drives high, smokes weed in her room. She does not use any of our cars. Her friends share their cars with her. Not really working her recovery. She's been in four rehabs. We love her and really don't know what to do. I go to Al-Anon regularly. I know her recovery is hers. She is really struggling and hurting. She has a good support system. Smoking weed in her house is one of those unacceptable behaviors. Being unacceptable. So what? Consequences? Don't know what to do that is best for her. Thank you for the podcast. They really give me strength and hope. Blessings, Diane. And, you know, that's one of those episodes I want to do. It's one of those episodes I'm going to do. I've found a couple people locally who are willing to come and talk about their experience as parents of alcoholics and addicts. And I have some shares and it's just been a time thing. It it will happen. Hopefully it will happen soon. Obviously not next week because I'm going to be gone, but uh, soon. But I also suggested the Parents Roundtable episode 22 at therecovery.show slash 22. And the Hope episode with, at therecovery.show slash 65, where one of my guests talked about finding hope while her son was still really out there. Not a topic we've we've covered a lot anyway. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Susan, Cheryl, Ken, and Kathleen did. And thank you again, Susan, Cheryl, Ken, and Kathleen. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the top menu at the top of the page, and if you order one of these from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. This only works, apparently, for people in the U.S. So if you're in another part of the world, just keep listening. We're good. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.